0: One Hope Church Glad each and every one of you are here with us today Especially those of you visiting with us Maybe it's your first time, a special welcome uh, to you Um, This morning we're going to continue... Um, in our study through the Gospel of Luke uh, we 're going to be in Luke chapter six, uh, be- beginning in verse 20. So Luke six, beginning in verse 20. And just um, as just a quick refresher we 're looking at the life of Jesus and we 're well into his public ministry now. Um, so he 's going around and, and preaching and establishing his authority and, and Luke really wants to set up the authority. Of Jesus, and we've seen that over the last number of weeks um, the authority of Jesus um, over creation, um, over sickness, disease, over demons, over um, so many different things, that his authority to call um, disciples. Um, and here we're going to see this morning his teaching uh, that he has the authority to teach, he has a, the authority to give his expectations for his disciples. And so this morning, what we're really looking at is, you know, what does Jesus expect of us if we say, you know, Jesus, we, we believe in you, we follow you, we're yours, what is his expectation of us as disciples? And so we're going to look at that uh, this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to get right into it. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege this morning to come to you to worship your holy name. Uh, we thank you for the privilege to know you, God, and to uh, look into your word and to have you to teach us and we pray that you would teach us through the words of your Son Jesus, and through the instruction and power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, please, uh, for those of us who who do really know you, uh, continue to refine us, continue to grow us more like your Son and if there are those who don't know you yet, I pray this morning they would have a clearer picture of who Jesus, your son, is and what he taught. And Jesus, we thank you that you came in authority, but you also came humbly. You came for the purpose to give yourself as a sacrifice for our sins, to pay the debts that we could not pay. And so this morning, we give you thanks for that great reality. In your name, Jesus, we pray it. Amen. All right, so let's begin... Um, in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, and as we get into this, some of you might be thinking, well, this is, you know, some of this stuff in here is is really familiar. Um, a, a lot of it is similar to what we have in Matthew 5 through 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it seems that the context here is a, is a little bit different. There's some people who say it's the same message, but that Luke um, doesn't include as much. There's a few things he does have that Matthew doesn't have. Um, but that he doesn't lose as much because he's um, writing to a different audience with a different you know, intention. Um, and that's okay if, that, if that's your perspective, but I personally think there are two different um, messages that Jesus is giving, but that Jesus is a traveling preacher. And any traveling preacher is going to give his most important material in different places multiple times. Uh, if I go to Mexico, I don't have to come up with all brand new material. I want to tailor it to the context and the people that are there, but I'm going to use some of the things that I would use here in this room. Uh, but you may make some things a little bit different because of the people you're talking to there and some of the cultural things you may be attempting to address. And then you, you, know, you make, a, make another trip to another country, you're going to do the same sort of thing, or even town-to-town, city-to-city, church meeting-to-church meeting. To church meeting. And so Jesus, you know, I'm, you know, we don't have it said here anywhere in Scripture, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gave what is in here in some sort of format, in some sort of of way, a lot of the same material, just dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I don't think that would be any bit of a surprise going from one place to another. And, you know, especially in in a time where it's like, it's not like, hey, did y'all hear the message Jesus, uh, you know, gave over in Capernaum the other week, you know, you can download that on your MP3. You know, it didn't really work like they didn't have those sort of things. It didn't work like that. You would have to give it, you know, again and again to different audiences in order for that, that message um, to spread. So let's begin in verse 20. He says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied, and blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh, and blessed are you when people hate hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. I will stop there and take that as our, our first section this morning, and so here we have So, you know, some of these blesseds or beatitudes, Matthew, um, in the message Jesus gives on Sermon on the Mount, records a a longer list um, of blesseds, and you can look back at that in Matthew chapter 5. But here we have a a few of the blessings that Jesus uh, would normally talk about. And it's a really interesting uh, concept that he's giving because um, before this time, in, you know, kind of the, the Greek understanding and the Greek gods, they refer to their gods as blessed, those who didn't have to endure the normal, you know, type of human life with suffering and with work, you know, labor and those sorts of things, and they would be blessed because they didn't have to encounter all of these things, and yet Jesus is taking that idea here and using it a completely different way, because he says, "'Blessed are you who are poor.'" blessed are you who are hungry blessed are those who weep things that you know the gods and you know that sort of understanding would never have to encounter or to endure and why how can Jesus say this to people because he's viewing their difficult circumstances in contrast to an eternal state in the con- in the context of e- of eternity you can say, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's something greater that awaits you. Blessed are you are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. There's going to come, you know, in the, in the future sense. Blessed are you who weep now, for you, you know, will laugh. So you endure difficulty now, but in the future, you know, things are, are going to be different. And in this context, you, can, you are blessed, you are one who can be joyful Despite your circumstances, and we can take that as yes, you know, physical, real circumstances, as Jesus did, you know, interact and work among those who were, you know, physically poor and who had physically had reasons to to mourn and to to weep. But we can also take this in the context of you know, on the spiritual realm. Um, actually, Matthew. Uh, in the message on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, blessed are you poor in, in spirit, you know, blessed, you know that, that humility, you know, before God, that you hunger for and thirst for righteousness' sake, you know, so there's this, this spiritual, you know, desire um, that is there. And then in verse 22, he gets into something interesting when he says, you know, blessed are you joyful when when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as, as evil for the Son of Man's sake or on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And it's, there's a, two points here we need to really grab hold of. One is, why, are they, why would the people be hated why would his disciples be hated because of Jesus? Because of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Now, that's really important because there's, there's many times when a you know a, a a person who says, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm going through this difficult time at work, and my, you know, this person doesn't like me. And they'll take that as, as like a Christian persecution. But the question is, is it really? Is it because of the name of Jesus, or or maybe it's because that individual is just difficult to work with? You know, sometimes people who are say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, will have really bad attitudes about life and, you know, what they do, and then other people, you know, they find conflict with other people, and other people don't seem to, you know, to like them that much or kind of just distance themselves over time, I don't need to be around that, and they go, well, they don't like me because of Jesus, but no, actually, they don't like you for a list of other reasons. You know, that's not the same thing as Christian persecution, or being persecuted for being a follower of Christ. It's, it's, those aren't equivalent, we need to make a clear distinction between that. What Jesus is talking about here is that someone is hated and reviled and persecuted because they're a follower of Jesus because they love Jesus, and that's a that's a huge distinction. And really, you know, we should if we're not already, we should become the sort of people that are never persecuted because of anything but Jesus, because we would be the nicest, kindest, most generous, most loving, most forgiving sort of people around. Those are the sort of people that. That Jesus wants his his followers to be, but that there can come this this real persecution because of Jesus and and you know in the in this context with most of, you know these disciples being Jewish people, he's telling them, remember, you know the the followers of those who persecute you now, like those past generations, they're the ones who also would have stoned the prophets who would have killed the prophets that God had sent, who would have, you know, put them into prison and reviled them because of of their messages. And what were those messages? Those messages were, here's what God has said. Here is the sin of the nation. Here is the sin of the people. And so there's a conflict that comes through that because, you know, the people wanted to justify themselves. And in this day, it's the same thing because especially among the religious people, among the religious leaders, what Jesus is doing is he's exposing the game. And he's exposing the religious game and showing the sinfulness that's within it. And those who are enjoying the benefits of that religious structure don't want that sinfulness exposed. Because then he goes on in these woes here, and this is also one of those differences that's, this isn't even in the Sermon on the Mount at all in Matthew 5-7. through Um, In verse 24 he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That's chapter 6, verse 24. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did of the false prophets. And that's you know, what we, what we need to understand the, there is that the religious leaders in this time are the ones who are enjoying the benefits of that system. They are the ones who are re, rich and who are full and who have reason to laugh and who are spoken well of by all the people. And so it's these Pharisees and scribes that are really the target of these sorts of messages that Jesus give, gives And that's something that we need to understand about Jesus, I think is is very important. When Jesus is dealing with people who know they are sinners, when he's dealing, you know, we had earlier the call of of Matthew, the tax collector, and his, you know, then Jesus going to his house and the the religious leaders are saying, why does he eat and drink with sinners? Jesus doesn't leave, you know, Matthew in, in just that state of being a sinner. You know, Matthew has a changed life, right? But Jesus goes and meets him where he is, and he doesn't have to give this heavy message of condemnation to him because he already feels it. He already knows that he's condemned. He already feels the guilt and the shame of all of his sin that is recognized. But the religious person has justified himself and doesn't see a problem. That there's no problem between that person and God. And so what Jesus has to do there is to expose that there actually is a problem. He has to expose it. And, he has to, and to, to do that, he has to come at it pretty aggressively, which is what you see here. That's an aggressive message. Whoa. To you who are rich, woe to you who are full now, woe to you who laugh, woe to when all people speak good of you. To those religious leaders, that is, I mean, that's an intense, aggressive message that Jesus gives. Because he's, what he's doing is he's setting these contrasts. Because the last thing that Jesus wants is for his movement for what he's doing for his disciples to become like the religious Pharisees and scribes that he was so opposed to because they led the people astray. And that's the same, I believe it's the same thing that Jesus, if he you know, came and preached messages today, particularly in our you know, cultural, religious you know, south that still has a lot of that, and he's in church, You know, what, what sort of messages would he be preaching? I think he would, many places, many times, he would be preaching the same sort of message, woe to you. And we need to be careful not to let ourselves off the hook and go, well, he wouldn't preach anything like that to me. Well, let's just make real sure about that. Let's make sure that we are becoming more like Jesus and that we are humbling ourselves before him continuously and that we never have this idea in our hearts or this spirit in our hearts that says, I'm so good now. That it becomes a source of pride and that is set apart from Jesus. We need to understand what's we have good in us. What is the source of that? Every good gift is from above. That you know Jesus in us is what Jesus in me is what's good about me. But not in my in my flesh? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. On my own power? Absolutely not. If there's good in you, because of the good of Jesus in you, the power of God at work in you, and this is the problem with these religious people: is that they, is that, you know, look at look at me, look at me. And I think it's just a, a fundamental problem. There's so many things we just, you know, we just take for granted. You take for granted when you drive by a church building, there's going to be like the name of the, the name of the church, you know. When it, the times of services, and somebody's name. Like, what? What even is that? Why? Do, why? Why do that? Because who names? Whose name matters? Other than the name of Jesus, when the body of Christ comes together to worship, doesn't matter. Our names don't matter. In that sense, elevate you know one above another and say, "This is who we follow. We follow Jesus. That's who we follow. We follow Jesus. We have all sorts of these culturally norm like accepted things, you know, that we do that are done without any thought or or question." Of what message are we really sending? What messages are we giving, and who do we care about? We took, we had to drive this morning as we were coming back into town, so we had a couple hours, and you know we passed some church buildings and everything. So you see, you know, different signs, and you know one of them called because had a nice, you know, trendy name, and then it said, you know, experience the difference. You know, like it, like it's a car. Like you know, you you, you, were, you were driving a Honda, but you know, when you step in this BMW, experience the difference. You know, sort of thing. And it's like, what are we doing? Why? Why to that? You know, how can you? You know, how can we, quote unquote, market? You know, the church without pride. Don't know. I'm going to step down now. Continuing verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from who, who takes your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's pretty, um, pretty intense. Pretty intense. So here's the standard. Jesus actually gives seven things here for his disciples in dealing with people, sometimes dealing with people who are difficult, dealing with people who view you as an enemy, What do you do? And Jesus says, you know, love. You know, love your enemies. Not just those who are easy to love. Not just love those who are good to you. But love your enemies. That's one. Second one is do good to those who hate you. Somebody hates you, do good to them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's the fourth one. Do not retaliate, this is the fifth one. So That's the insult of being struck in the cheek, or for the other. And that one, I'll just stop just for one minute there, because, you know, again, we, we have to understand cultural significance. You know, that's, that was a, a huge insult. And a lot of times, it would be someone who was powerful, you know, in front of others, you know, someone who has a position of weakness, the one who's... Powerful would you know, slap the other one or strike them in the, in the cheek. You know, you, but they couldn't do anything about it unless they just said, well, forget this, you know, whatever, whatever the consequences, they're going to be what they're going to be, but I'm going to fight back here. But it's this insult. You know, you've been insulted. Well, take the insult and be willing to be insulted again. And that's actually a powerful statement back to the other side. It's like, yeah, you use this, but it does. It, it actually, it actually takes away the power that that person has. When somebody says, "I don't have to fight you back," I don't have to strike you back. You just can have the other also. But you know, people will mistake this uh, statement as if Jesus is saying, you know, if somebody just wants to beat the ever-loving tar out of you. Let them do so, and then let them do so again, and let them do so again, and let them do so again. And that's not what Jesus says here. You know, you, you, if you're going to come to that conclusion, you've got to do so in a little bit different way because there is a cultural context, and there's actually what Jesus says. There's a, you know, it's a, really a slap of insult that the person is getting, a strike of insult, and they're willing to endure that a second time. He doesn't say just stand there for severe beatings time and time again. But we also do see, you know, followers of Jesus take severe beatings. Even some of the apostles, Paul, numerous times took a severe beating. But we also see him, when it was appropriate, said, hey, don't forget I'm a Roman citizen and what you just did to me was illegal. And use what law was there for his protection you just don't throw away all of your protections and all of your human rights. Not without a lot of prayer and doing so, you know, in the spirit. Not just because you've misinterpreted sermon, you know, this, this message that Jesus gave. It's important to remember. Jesus is saying nothing here about spousal you know, abuse. It's not in the context. It's not there. So then, but he gives us, you know, don't retaliate against that insult that's been given to you. Give freely. And then to treat others how you want to be treated. Even those who, you know, if somebody is treating you very poorly, we are we, human, in our human flesh goes, oh, that, well, that's how you want to play. Well, how about this back to you? That's our human flesh. But instead, when someone is treating you poorly, you think about, okay, how do I want to be treated? Okay, now that's how I'm going to treat this other person. It's really a subversive message that Jesus gives because it goes so contrary to our world and to our flesh. You know, this huge wave of our flesh and culture sweeping over and then Jesus is just there, you know, like, stop it. And it's a subversive message. And it's a message that has, uh, if it's applied properly, has a great power. Has great power. Both for the person who follows the way of Jesus, but also for the others that that person encounters. And we've seen time and time again throughout history where following this way of Jesus in personal conflicts or with in a situ- situation where someone is is really "quote unquote" powerless to fight against fight off against oppressors, where these principles applaud do actually have great power and create great change. Notice verse thirty-two. He says, "But if you." Love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil, and therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. So Jesus is trying to help his followers to have this bigger perspective of what he cares about, and it's a longer-term view of investment. It's actually longer-term than this physical life that you live here, because many people are planning, you know, okay, you know, at some point we're going to want to retire, and we need to have, like, you know, some in 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 savings, we need to have something in account so we can, you know, eat and pay our bills and these sort of things. So we're thinking about the future in that way. Jesus here is going further than that. Because he's talking about you know you really your investment in in the eternal things and things that last. And so he's saying you're gonna do things with that sort of view differently that even if you're just thinking about this life, even if you're thinking about this life only, and you're thinking about it even in the longer term, it's still going to be different than the sort of life that Jesus would have you to live and the way he thinks about things and what sort of rewards you're really seeking. You could even ask, you know, we could ask the question here, well, what sort of return do you want to have on your life Because when you're making investments in the financial world, you think about, okay, what's our expectation here of of growth? What do we expect to get back when we're 65 or 70 or whatever it is? What do we expect? That's how you think about those sorts of things. But here, what what sort of return back are you going to get on your life? Let's go way beyond money your life, and how you live it. Because Jesus says that your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Wow. And again, I believe that's all for Jesus. I think you see it in the book of Revelation with the 24 elders around the throne of God and they have their crowns and they lay them down. But how we live for Jesus, that's our thank you. You know, when we take that bread and that cup, we're saying, thank you, Jesus. We remember you. You died on the cross for our sins. You rose from the dead. You are our all in all. And that's what we do in those few minutes every Sunday. And it helps us to evaluate our lives because we're told to confess our sins before we take it. And so we have this cleanse, you know, this, this purification time before God. But that's not the end of the story. Because then there's leaving our fellowship together and there's interacting with all sorts of different people throughout the week. And that's where we're living out that thankfulness. That's where we're living out the thankfulness. Because we can, we can say we're thankful that Jesus, when we were enemies, took away our sins. That when we were enemies, God was merciful to us. That when we've affronted God, he's been offending us. And we can say all of that here on a Sunday morning as we take the bread and the cup But what oftentimes really shows our true thankfulness is when you're at work or when you're at class or when you're interacting and somebody offends you. That's when we see, am I thankful or not for what Jesus did for me? To the level of changing, where I'm more like Christ and I will respond as Christ would respond, that's thankfulness. We can't say, yes, I'm thankful as we take that on a Sunday morning and then the first time somebody offends us on Monday morning, respond in the flesh and in the world and have those things that's like just disconnected. Like those are just completely different realities. You know, just No, it's all there. It's all there. Love, do good, bless, pray for, do not retaliate, give freely, treat others as you desire to be treated. Because here we see the goodness of our God. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. You know, when it rains here, and one farmer is good and the next farm person's evil. The rain that God sends lands on both farms. And that's God's mercy. That's God's grace. Certainly, God was fully within His right and with His power just to have it land on the good and not on the evil. And in fact, there are points and times we see even in, you know, we know he has the power to do that. We read about how the Hebrews were, you know, mistreated for generations in Egypt, and then when the plagues came, I mean, even though they're in such close proximity, the Hebrews didn't experience the pain and the discomfort and the suffering, and their livestock was safe and all these things, and those right next door, havoc. So we know God certainly has the power to do that, and, you know, there's going to come another point in time in, in the future when you know, God is going to spare his people, but there will be judgment for those who have fought against him. But in this time, we have grace. And in this grace, the gospel is out there for who would receive it. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God is merciful. So we're told to be merciful just as our Father is merciful because, again, without the mercy of God, who is Standing. Without the mercy of God, what human is not just obliterated off the map for the wickedness in the, in the heart at some point in time and one's life? God is merciful. God is merciful. Okay, we're going to move through. Verse 37, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with what measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. And he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's put all this together, because again, oftentimes, you know, something Jesus says can just be taken Taken apart a from any other verses of everything else he's saying, and then just used. Um, it's kind of like a little trump card. You know, so you just say, anybody says anything to you ever, you can just go, Judge not. <laughs> it's convenient. Hey, Jesus said it. Makes it extra convenient, right? Hey, Jesus, Jesus said, Judge not. But what he's gotten out of it here, I believe, is a hypocritical judgment. And it's a judgment for the purpose of having oneself elevated to the detriment of another. That's what so much of judging is about. It's pointing out the wrong in another person so that the right in one's own life, or at least the appearance of right in one's own life, can be amplified. So that I'm better than. So lifting oneself up by exposing the faults of another. Jesus doesn't want us to be those sort of people. Those sort of people who feel good about themselves because, say, well, you know, My life is so much better than yours, and I'm so much better, and I don't do the things you do. And I mean, you could just look at our Facebook feeds and see how much better of a person I am than you are, and how much more accomplished. So, God doesn't want us to be those sorts of people. He does want us to be helpful for one another, but it's not helpful if you know, we have a bunch of, of sin in our own lives that are large and then we're trying to nitpick in on the little stuff in other people's lives. That's not helpful. That just breeds trouble. Just first take the Log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye because you want to help. You know, and we're instructed to, to love one another and to help one another and to bear one another's burdens. So if you see that I have something in my eye, I want you to help me get it out. And I think it's kind of cool how Jesus uses that because, you know, you might just be thinking, well, that's really, what's a speck or whatever. If you have ever had a little something in your eye? This is a number of years ago. I was doing something in our our attic. Had a little piece of insulation, a tiny little piece of insulation fall down into my eye. And I tried to wash it out. I couldn't get it out. And it was late at night and, you know, whatever. Go to sleep. Wake up the next morning in the most intense pain. And it took several more hours to be, you know, you're go to the doctor. You know, oh, you need to go to the optometrist. So, you know, by the time that optometrist got to me and said he could help me, if he had said, "Yeah, I can help you," but I'm gonna need your credit cards and all the money in any account and your car and everything, I've been mean, like, "It's your," I signed it over here. You can have it. You can have it all. Wife, children. Let me, let me hold back on that a little bit, if I can. I mean, p- painful. Painful experience. And just, you know, you have the right little tool, the right, you know, magnification things and boom, gets to that instant relief. Instant relief. So then there's pain in your life, if, if, if you can help take pain out of my life, I'm thankful for that. We can help take pain out of each other's life because, you know, the reality is a lot of our pain in life is self-inflicted. You know, it's not like something fell into our eyes. Like we're like, you know, throwing pieces of sand, you know, holding our eyes open, like, can I get one to stick? You know, like, a lot of our pain is self-inflicted. It just is. And, you know, it's, it's the bad habits that we have. It's, the, you know, a lack of discipline in particular areas of life. Whatever, you know, a lot of the pain we bring among ourselves. You know, in fact, you know, we really don't need other enemies in life because if you want to see my number one enemy, all you got to do is hold up a mirror. All you got to do is hold up a mirror to me. I get in the way of me, me more than it, by far anyone else does. When it comes to being more like Jesus, there's anyone standing in the way of that, you just hold up a mirror and look into it. That's it. I mean, that's reality. And, you know, I don't to sugarcoat anything. You can say, well... This, this person did me wrong, or my, my parents this, and, you know, my culture this, and my society that. And yeah, all of those things are factors. There's are certainly factors, but at a certain point, we have to go, you know, it's on me. It's on me. And especially as you get a little bit older, now that I, I mean, it's like I'm 40, I've got four, I have 40 years, you know, whatever anybody else did, it's kind of going to get over it. And work through that with Jesus and not making light of those things. But if there's something hindering my walk with Jesus at this point, at 40, since I believed in Jesus when I was four, that's 36 years for Jesus to make me more like himself. If there's anybody who's got a problem in that process of growth, it's right here. It's right here. can't blame anybody else. Say this, that, or the other. Now, maybe some of you are young enough and enough things, you know, and you can still blame somebody else, okay. But you can't, you can't just do that your whole life. That doesn't work. You can't do that your whole life. Because who that will hurt the most is you. That it'll hurt you the most to do that. It might be the easy way out right now and it may feel good in that moment. But we have to take personal responsibility at a point or at least here, hey brother, hey sister, I've got this log in my eye. Please help me get it out. I've got this speck in my eye. Please help me get it out. To be humble, especially to go to Jesus and this morning, you take that bread of that cup, go to Jesus and say, Lord, these things that are all in my eyes and everywhere else in my life that are not, that keep me from being more like you and keep me from having that blessed, joyful life that is in you, Lord, take those away. Take those away. Because there are so many people who will use the excuse... At the, end of the, at the end of it all, about, you know, I'm not more like Jesus, why? Well, it's just, you know, my past, my upbringing, my personality. So isn't Jesus bigger than all these things? Isn't he bigger than all these things? That's where, where we get anything out of it this morning. Is like, Jesus is bigger than all of that. And he can walk through all of that stuff with us. And we don't have to live according to the old ways and the world system and the religious system and the flesh, but that we can live in Christ, in his power and in his way. That what Jesus has actually asked us to do is not impossible. And it's very practical. You see it a little bit more, actually, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, you have all these things. It's like, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you when he gives his higher teaching. But he doesn't just leave it, leave it there. A lot of times, you, you know, people read that message and go, well, Jesus says you've heard it said, then I say to you, and then he says some other stuff, and then he says, you know, you've heard it said, and I say to you. That other stuff is actually the practical application of the higher teaching that he just gave. And here, what you just had in Luke is he's talking about, you know, these things I want you to do, even those seven that we mentioned earlier, those are practical things that we can engage in every day. We don't, you don't look at those things and go, you know, one day I'll be like Jesus and I'll do those things. That's not how it works. You, you know, we do those things and as we do those things consistently, we become more like Jesus. As you pray for your enemies every day, you become more like Jesus. As you respond, when somebody responds, gives bad to you, you give good to them, you become more like Jesus. It's not that you become more like Jesus and then you start doing those things. No, that's how we become more like Jesus, is by putting into practice his teachings. Because it's not enough, we can all read the passage and go, Jesus, you're right. That's, the easy, that's easy. We can all read the passage and go, Jesus, you're right. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's how I'm supposed to live. But it's tough on Monday morning when your kids have been acting crazy and you're late and the first thing that happens when you get to work is somebody snaps at you. That's difficult. That's difficult. But that's, you know, that's that's what it's about here. It's what it's about. It's not about, and you can see this in how Jesus gives, it. It's not, it's not about when we're just together and we're loving on one each other and everybody's treating each other well. Like, certainly we can grow uh, somewhat in that environment, but where we really grow is in that, that diff- those difficult places where people aren't treating us well where you're not being treated with respect, where you're not being loved, you're not being cared for. And we should never expect the world to do that for us anyway. And then how do we respond to that? And that's where we become more like Jesus. That's where we become more like Jesus. Verse 43, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its own fruit for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush the good person out of the good measure of his heart produces good the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks that's so good it's so good because he's really getting out there at core. You know, you, you, don't, you don't go to a thorn bush and go, where are the grapes? Where are the apples? Why? Because that's not what it is. But if you go to an apple tree, you expect, I'm going to get some apples, if it's apple season, I'm going to get some apples off of this tree. So you know, there, there's a question of core reality there. You know, am, am I really a, am I a follower of Jesus or am I not? That's a core question of reality. Because if a person is not really a disciple of Jesus, not really one of his, then how can they produce the good fruit that Jesus expects? And so many people are trying to do that, you know, and really, um, I saw a good quote this week, you know, license just says, hey, just, you know, be who you are, and it's all good. Legalism says, when you get to be good enough, you can come join us. Once you've met the standard of being good enough, you can come join us. But Jesus meets us where we are, and then he changes us. So you can chunk license, you can chunk legalism, because neither of them are going to do you any good. But Jesus is going to change us fundamentally, and he's going to make us the sort of tree he wants us to be that's going to bear good fruit. And so that's where we have to go to him at his core. But notice he says this out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what happens is when we're in that pressure cooker, you know, saying, you know, in, in sports, you talk about defensive intensity you, because you say, you know, pressure burst pipes. Yeah, because anybody can, you know, dribble the ball up the court when nobody is hounding them and all over them. But when that pressure comes and that nervousness comes, out, oh, wait, I'm not prepared for this, pressure bursts pipes. It's true in life as well. Because when everything is just going smooth, I mean, everybody's fine then, right? I mean, you're getting A's on all your tests you know, got a lot of friends, everything's going well. Hey, it's easy. Pressure, when there's difficulty, that's when we see what's going to come out. That's when you see what comes out. Because out of the abundance of the heart is what's going to come out. So that, I mean, that is intense. Because there's times well, that's not so pretty. You know, the pressure comes in in the situation, and then there's anger, and then it's just ugly. That ugliness will come out. And this is, I mean, fundamentally, again, when we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven, God changes, but there's still the growth as a disciple to become like Jesus takes time and you know, effort. So you got the good tree, the bad tree, you got the the fundamental issue there, but you also have, you know, what what are we full of? And that's going to come through our time with Jesus and our meditation and our fellowship and one of the reasons we come together and we encourage one another, we try to grow together. So that when, you know, life kicks us in the gut, we don't just respond with a bunch of garbage, a bunch of the flesh, but that we respond in a Christ-like way. If anybody doesn't need to improve on that, well, you're good. You can go ahead and die. You've made it. You've arrived. You're ready for heaven. But I would contend that most of us still have some work to do in that, in life. Now, if you've got all that down, sure Jesus still has some more things for you to do, your time will come. Be patient. Finishes with this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Because again, he's we talked about a little bit earlier. We can all say, yes, Jesus, you're right. Great message. You know, is that what we do? You know, if, if, if Jesus gave. The message, you just kind of wonder if people come up afterwards and go, man, Jesus, I really appreciate that. That was just such a good message. And now I'm going to go and just do my life like I always do. With no intention that anything's ever going to be any different. It's like Jesus wasn't about just giving good messages so that he would hear back that, oh, thanks for that. That was a good message today. Thanks for that. No, his expectation is that we would hear his words because he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So what would he say this, this morning to us? You know, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't love your enemies? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't pray for those who persecute you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not lend to those who can't give anything back to you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not treat others the way you want to be treated? That's what he's getting at here. Why do you call me Lord? Because when we call him Lord, what we're acknowledging there is he's above us and that he has authority. Basically, what Jesus is saying to his audience here is like, why are you giving me these accolades that I have? Why are you saying that I have authority in your life if what I tell you to do, you don't actually go and do? Because when, if you've ever worked for someone, you may not want to do it, but when the boss says, time for you to go clean that bathroom, well, if you, if you want to have a job, if you want to get paid, you want to you know, you get paid on Friday, well, you're going to go clean that bathroom. When the boss gives you an assignment to do, you may not want to do that at that moment in time. You know, you're not sitting there going, boy, I sure do hope my boss gives me the worst of it today. Gives me the worst jobs that nobody in the company wants to do. I hope I get given those today. And if you get given those, what do you do? You go and do them. Why? Because that person has authority. Or you say, that person's not going to be my boss anymore. I quit. And so this is kind of what Jesus is getting at here. I do believe. I think at, at certain points, Jesus wants people to make decisions. Either say... I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to be a disciple. I'm not, this is, it's not worth it. The stuff is too hard, it's too difficult, it's all this. No, I'm out. And we see that because a lot of the followers of, you know, disciples, the crowds of disciples, at some point stop following Jesus. They're like, yeah, we've heard it, we've seen all the miracles, we've seen it, but the cost I don't like that part of it, and it's too much, and I'm, I'm out. So here Jesus is getting at it pretty tough, but he says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you say I'm the one in the authority if you don't do what I tell you to do? I don't want to make too huge of a leap here, but I do think it has somewhat to do with intention because the problem with this is the peop- many of the people who are really, really sincere are going to go, man, Lord, I, I mess up so much. But then there's those without intention we're just going to go either well actually i'm i'm doing pretty good you know and we'll just self justify or he's not talking to me that's the problem with these sort of messages that usually the ones who are really want to follow the lord have the the most sensitive hearts to it and say so, or get back down on the knees and say lord forgive me you know i'm a sinner Like, help me. I know how much I fail. But it is a real question for us. It's the question that Jesus asks. You know, we should pay attention. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's good to pay attention to that. Really good to pay attention to that. Because it's that house that's being built. See both houses look fine. Both houses, you know, you you just pass them on the street and go, yeah, I could live in either of those houses. From the external human perspective, you know, it's it looks okay. But when the storm of life comes, the difficulty comes, what happens then? And that's where we often find out if Jesus is really Lord. In reality, not just in speech, but in reality. When the difficult things happen. When the pressure comes. It's interesting, he just leaves it here with the stream broke against it, immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. Man, we don't want to see people build that way, do we? We don't want to build that way. We don't want to see people that way. We want to see people build in such a way that when the difficult things of life come, we stand. Because we've built on the rock. We've built strong on the foundation. And who is that foundation? It's Jesus Christ. It's him and it's his teachings. It's, you know, that we've, we've, we've really, in his power and his strength, we've said, Lord, we can't do it on our own. We need you. Help us but we've been actually intentional about trying to live it out. We've put ourselves to, to the test even. So, hey, you know, have you said this to anybody in the last year or two? Hey, I, I want to make sure my foundation, my life is really strong, so can you, like, with me, like, help check out my foundation for this house being built right here? Can me check out this foundation? Because I don't know when those things in life are going to come, but when they do... I want to be standing. So any parts of of weakness, any parts where things haven't been built properly yet, like, can you help me build that part of my life up in a way that honors God? Or, hey, you know I've got some brokenness. Like, there's some cracks here in this part, and when you know, if a storm hits this part of life, it's going to be trouble. Like, I know it is, so I need some help. We can firm this up and do some repair work here. Sometimes you've been building your life on Jesus, but then other things happen, and you know, you need some repairs. You need some repairs. You've taken a little bit of a beating, or you made some bad choices. You know, you, you thought you bought some good concrete, but... But actually, it wasn't mixed properly. And now you've got a weakness in part of the house. It needs to be dealt with. Hey, what are we going to do with those things? Or do we just say, you know, I am who I am. and And that part of life just isn't going to be more like Jesus. My contention with you this morning is that Jesus loves you enough that He wants the whole house built well. He wants the whole foundation built well. He doesn't want anything in our lives that are going to inhibit us from being more like Him and having the joy of of living that full communion with Him. I'm not talking about just happiness, but let me just give you just a quick little litmus test here. If you don't have joy in Jesus... And there's something wrong going on in that, in that house, something wrong going on in that foundation, and, and, and some things need to get dealt with. There's not joy despite the circumstances, there's not joy in Jesus in your life as you're going through. Let, let's deal with some stuff. Don't turn around, you know, two years from now, or a year from now six months from now, and it's just the same. Take those steps, whatever those need to be. Sometimes you got to ask somebody who's been a little further down the road and go, okay, here's the situation. What does my next step need to be? Because I don't have a clue. But it's that humility that will get you there. It's that humility that will help you. And not having to have all the answers yourself, that humility will get you there more than anything else will. Because God gives grace to the humble. And He resists the pride that we have. Who's willing to say, Lord, I've got some pride. Help me to be humble before you. I know I've got pride. I've got pride in spades. My flesh has a lot of pride. If I'm walking in the flesh, I got a lot of pride. In the spirit, we're all good in the spirit. My flesh is ugly. It's ugly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we want to be faithful to your word. This message that Jesus gave is not an easy message. Sure, it cut many of the hearts of the people who first heard it. Lord, it may cut some hearts this morning. Lord, we want to be able to say it truthfully, Jesus, that you are our Lord. We want to be able to say to you, Lord, Lord. And we don't want to hear back, but we don't do what you say. So Help us, Lord Jesus. We need you so much. I need you, Jesus. Lord, for those who are hurting, those foundations have cracks, Lord, please heal them, shore that up, help them to get the help they need, Lord. For those who haven't even started building yet or they've been building completely on the wrong foundation, pray that even this morning we come to you, Jesus, as Savior and as Lord, as King, be made new by you. Lord, for those who have walked with you for decades, Lord, help us not to grow complacent. Help us not to say, well, we've gone far enough. Lord, keep changing hearts. Until our last breath, Lord, help us to be more like you, Jesus. We can still be more like you because we are not not. As we take the bread and the cup this morning and we remember you with thankfulness, help us also to remember your authority over our lives and your authority to say how we should live them. Help us to lay our pride down before you this morning, Jesus, we pray. So we say thank you as we take the bread, represents your body, and we say thank you that takes the cup, that cup of suffering that you took, that you shed your blood for us.